David knows I'm about to call him out. I already told him. Um, but the way I'm calling him out is that I laughed this week when he emailed me the title of the choir anthem, Jesus, I Love You. Um, and I wondered when David chose this, had he actually read the gospel passage for today? Because I know he had it. Because I'm not going to lie, uh, this week's gospel lesson, last week's gospel lesson, and I hate to tell you, the next couple of weeks, um, they're passages that are a little hard to hold. They're hard to receive, um, hard to hear, and then just simply say, okay, what Jesus is saying is I need to do this, so I'm just going to go and do that. Um, as I shared last week, the struggle is real. I was talking last week with uh, someone who called me about last week's service, and we were chatting about the message, the issues it raises, the questions I have for myself. We went back and forth, and I finally said to them, um, here are two truths of my faith. One, Jesus complicates everything for me. And two, I find the life and message of Jesus so compelling that I can't simply walk away. And even more to the point, and a little infuriating, it's that some of the very ways that Jesus complicates my life are the very reasons I find him so compelling. The gospel of Jesus Christ is redemption, restoration, a place at the table for everyone. God's dream for earth and the hope of the Jewish faith was that the oppressive powers of this earth would not always rule, but that God's justice and peace would ultimately rule. This is what we believe was begun in Jesus, and yes, we wait for it to be finally complete, but this vision of God's kingdom, this is what we see lived and named by Jesus. It gives me hope and assurance and strength and faith to believe that the way things are is not the way things have to be. And then what complicates it all is, well, there's me, right, in the story, believing and hoping and saying yes to all of it, and then trying to live it out. Figure it out as I read passages um, like our gospel lesson for today. So, yes, I love Jesus, but dang, Jesus really complicates everything for me. So enter this rich man. We're going to kind of stay with the gospel before we jump um, to Amos. This rich man, and what he wants to know is how do I do it, right? Like, how do I live this out? Jesus reminds him of the law, just live into that, follow that. The man says, I've done this. Teacher, I have kept all of these commandments since my youth. And Jesus doesn't challenge this or attack him. We don't hear him go, really? Really? You've done all of that since your youth? No, it says, Jesus looked at him carefully and loved him and says, okay, well, then you're lacking one thing. Go sell what you own. Give the money to the poor. Come follow me. You want to know what it means to live into God's dream? 
how it looks to live, how it feels to be part of this transformed life. Give it all away. The man walks away, shocked and grieving, and Jesus says, how hard it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. And we shouldn't be shocked by these words, right? I mean, if you've been paying attention at all the past, I would say, month and a half, um, the challenge for the rich man is the same challenge that the people of God carried with them into the wilderness, the same challenge they carried with them into the promised land, the same challenge Israel carried as a nation, the challenge the followers of Jesus carry to this day, all those lessons of manna living. The call to live faithfully is a call to re-examine continually our lifestyle and financial choices while participating faithfully in caring communities, providing for those in need, persistently challenging societal structures that penalize the poor, basically trying to make sure we don't become that oppressive system that was Pharaoh. In other words, Jesus complicates it all. And what Jesus saw, what was going on in Jesus' world as this rich man approached him, um, well, he saw a domination system playing itself out all over again. The wealthiest 1% to 2% setting the system up so that one-half to two-thirds of the production of wealth from the peasant class flowed to them. If you read this story carefully, you realize we're not talking about individual virtue. Wealthy people can be good people. The rich man observed the law. Jesus didn't challenge this. It's, it seems to be saying that individual goodness isn't the issue. But instead, the system, a system operated by the wealthy that radically impoverished the peasant class. And Jesus simply invites this man to leave that system. Leave it behind for an alternative the kingdom of God. Now we looked at a lesson found in Luke last week that was very similar, and we said that Luke talks a lot about money. But for Mark, it's the kingdom of God that's at the heart of Jesus' message. And in Mark, the kingdom of God has two characteristics, distributive justice and peace. And wealth had everything to do with everything. And we can say it still does. Um, from the medical care you're able to receive, um, that is a conversation that's happening across our state. Um, from the neighborhood you live in, which of course determines which school your kids get to go to, to the type of food you're able to access. And what we hear Jesus say in this story, he says, do you really want to know what it means to live into the kingdom of God? It means you're not defined by your wealth. And the good news is, neither is the one who has no wealth. As I said, we're going to be looking throughout October um, at some of the prophets, holding those alongside a message of Jesus, um, seeing how these may point us back to this idea of manna living. 
Today, our prophet is Amos, a prophet who speaks to a people of faith who just seem to miss the point. Before I read that section in Amos, just a little bit about the book. Amos was a shepherd in Judah. He ministered from 783 to 742 BCE during the days of King Uzziah and King Jeroboam. Now, the reign of these kings marked an era of flourishing, prosperity, security. During this time, there was robust public worship. They had these elaborate festivals, um, these extravagant rituals. Things seemed to be going pretty well. They anticipated and they celebrated the day of the Lord, this time when ultimately God would grant them victory over all their enemies, and this time of flourishing would just continue on. But God looks at this community, and it has become divided between rich and poor. The rich are feasting while those among them struggle to survive. Unfair practices are being used so that those who have can accumulate more and more. Mercy and justice can't be found. Instead, what is found are obstacles, obstacles to life and freedom, peace and prosperity. So Amos looks around and says, this is not the vision of community God has for God's people. You've forgotten what it means to live and love in a different way to present to the world a different vision, to be God's people. In Amos 5, as you'll hear, those who choose to ignore the law and its ideals of truth, justice, and mercy, well, they were bringing judgment on the entire house of Israel. So when Amos uses the phrase, the day of the Lord, he presents it to the people in a different way turning to Amos 5 and kind of jumping around a little bit from 6 and 7, 10 to 15, and 18 through 24. Seek the Lord and live, or he will break out against the house of Joseph like fire, and it will devour Bethel with no one to quench it. Ah, you that turn justice to wormwood and bring righteousness to the ground. They hate the one who, who repro reproves in the gate, and they abhor the one who speaks the truth. Therefore, because you trample on the poor and take from them the levies of grain, you have built houses of hewn stone, but you shall not live in them. You have planted pleasant vineyards, but you shall not drink their wine. For I know how many are your transgressions and how great are your sins. You who afflict the righteous, who take a bribe and push aside the needy in the gate. Therefore, the prudent will keep silent in such a time, for it is an evil time. Seek good and not evil that you may live. And so the Lord, the God of hosts, will be with you just as you have said. Hate evil and love good. Establish justice in the gate. It may be that the Lord, the God of hosts, will be gracious to the remnant of Joseph. Alas, for you who desire the day of the Lord, why do you want the day of the Lord? It is darkness, not light. As if someone fled from a lion and was met by a bear or went into the house and rested a hand against the wall and was bitten by a snake. Is not the day of the Lord darkness, not light, and gloom with no brightness in it? I hate, I despise your festivals. I take no delight in your solemn assemblies. Even though you offer me your burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. And the offerings of well-being of your fatty calves, I will not look upon. Take away from me the noise of your songs. I will not listen to the melody of your harps. 
But let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. So in Amos, the day of the Lord, um, well, it would be a calamitous reckoning. Worshippers will have to account for their sins of economic exploitation of small farmers, callous disregard for the poor. Amos's exhortation to seek good and not evil that you may live, well, it echoes the rich man's question of, what must I do to inherit eternal life? For Amos and for Jesus, there's this link, link of life with God to economic justice for the poor. I was reading a commentary this past week on Amos, and there was a line in it that I found rather humorous. Um, it asked us to try and picture our congregation sitting in church and hearing, I hate, I despise your festivals. I take no delight in your solemn assemblies. That maybe that might perplex some of them who had given up their Sunday morning where they could have easily slept in, enjoyed a nice brunch, um, but they chose to be here. How do you jump from words like hate and despise to being able to hear and receive um, to the command found at the end? Let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. Could it feel just a little like the rich man coming to Jesus Asking how to continue to live a life of faith, faithful, meaningful life, only to be told, give up everything. Now, Amos does, he does give the people something beyond doom. They're reminded that their public worship should somehow connect to their daily ethics. Because beautiful worship without justice is meaningless. They're reminded to seek justice, um, to seek life, and that this is to seek God. And to love good wherever it may be found. And reject evil outright. Now, I would be remiss if I did not remind us of one of the most famous times Amos 5 was used. In 1963, the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. invoked Amos 5.24 in his address to more than 200,000 people during the March on Washington for Jobs and Freedom. Let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream, he said. King invoked the words of a prophet, naming the reality of the injustice present but pointing to the hope that the way things are is not the way things have to be. Thinking about the work of Dr. King, uh, the way he held this passage, um, sitting and listening to Brandon's presentation Wednesday evening, even going through that second verse of Come, Let Us Dream as we sang it together, kind of all gave me a new way to think about today to think about how to hold the story of the rich man and the words of Amos. A new way to think of justice. What if justice is just healing 
would that make it easier for us to see and name and do? Would it maybe take out some of the arguments that come alongside it about what is fair, what's not fair? Would it hopefully remove some of the politics? Maybe. What if justice is healing by simply repairing that which has been broken? Isn't that the heart of redemption to begin with? The heart of the redemptive work of Jesus Christ? Healing? We live in a time much like that of Amos. The gap between the wealthy and the economically oppressed grows. How can we offer healing in the midst of this? Can healing look like finding those dark places in our neighborhoods and just simply shining a light upon it. Brandon did ask us Wednesday night how we as a faith community may offer healing in relation to his own presentation. Um, it's a great question for us to hold no matter the topic. We're a pretty blessed church. Um, so my invitation to you, holding the story of the rich man holding those prophetic words of Amos, um, thinking about this search for justice as a way to heal, how might we, as Parkway Hills United Methodist Church, be a part of God's healing work just in our little corner of the world? And with that, I invite us to pray. Let us pray.